0: This is the Responsible Note Investing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Putz, owner of JKP Holdings. After we received multiple requests to convert our live webinars into audio format, we decided to set up a podcast. Our focus on each webinar was to be content-driven, partner with the guests with the most knowledge and experience in their field. We do our best to try and ask the questions you would ask. Our live webinars cover topics ranging from bookkeeping to avoiding mistakes to legal and so on. Be sure to follow us on YouTube at JKP Holdings LLC, our Facebook page, JKP Holdings, our Facebook group, East Coast Distressed Note Investing, and our LinkedIn page, JKP Holdings LLC. And now it's time to dive in. Go ahead and yourselves, go ahead, Adam, you can start off.
1: I'm Adam Adams, um, same name twice, Live down in Dallas, um, been buying notes uh, just uh, not quite a year yet, but uh, been in real estate for about five or six years, I guess. I uh, started in apartments and uh, had a couple of single families, and I felt like the apartment market is too hot, so I've moved over to notes, and i happy ever since. So. Cool. Do it, do it.
0: Give me one second. I'm using your feeds. Everyone's fees for us. Oh, we're back. All right, go ahead. Sorry, guys.
2: That's okay. Um, grew up in a real estate investor family, bought my first rental property right outside of college. Um, Spent a lot of time as a landlord and got tired of that. And uh, notes sounded like the best way to not be called at 3 o'clock in the morning when the toilet explodes. Um, I buy firsts and seconds and contract for deeds um, all over the country, so. And I've been doing this exclusively since
3: 2013. Wanna go next, Nathan? Sure. I'm Nathan Turner. Uh, I actually live just outside of Montreal in Canada. Um, I actually started buying non-performing notes in 2010. That was my first purchase. And then really seriously in the last two years, Um, I buy first lien mortgages and contracts for deed and all over the country from Canada. Thank you. All
4: right. This is Wayne Snell. Hi guys. Uh, I'm also in Dallas or a suburb of Dallas, actually Frisco, Texas. Um, I got into real estate about 10 years ago. I'm uh, Mike, trade was as a, um, in the software marketing industry for 30 plus years, uh, most recently as the global VP of marketing for a company here in Dallas. Um, so got involved in, in, uh, uh, single family rentals, uh, just about 2008 and start, but my first note in 2010 really as a hobby, as I like to say, um, I got serious about notes when I had a fairly large embezzlement and realized I had to kind of find a way to start increasing my capital quickly. And that was, uh, I I got involved in what I call real notes, if you will, Uh, firstly in position CFDs in 2013, and I was able to leave my full-time job last year. So I've been doing it full-time for about a year now.
5: Cool.
1: Awesome.
5: Your turn, Gabe. All right. Hi, my name is Gabe. I'm the portfolio manager here at Surf City Investors, and we're based in Huntington Beach, California. I'm managing a portfolio of first and second mortgages, primarily non-performing, some performing, and a handful of REOs that I've created recently by foreclosing on those notes. I started investing in hard money loans in 2010 and I participated in 30 plus loans of that nature and then a few years ago, I started investing in non-performing loans and I eventually built a full-time business out of it a couple of years ago. So, I just managed the notes and the portfolio full-time now. Uh, My background is... In portfolio analysis, I worked for large bond managers for over a decade. Uh, So it was a pretty natural transition into notes, since they are bonds, basically. So that's what we work on over here.
0: Awesome. So I wanted to – you guys touched about already why you got involved in this business. Why do you guys take this over doing brick and mortar?
5: Well, um, yeah, well, this is Gabe. So I was, you know, I mentioned I was a, an analyst on bonds before this. So, you know, it just, it was a natural transition to analyzing and buying my own bonds. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a thought of buying a bunch of properties for me personally, but now I acquire the properties and rent them out via foreclosing on the non-performing loans.
4: Wayne? Well, uh, I actually got involved in notes more seriously because I wanted more brick and mortar. Um, So I I mentioned I was a single-family rental guy. Uh, Here in Dallas, the market recovered really well, faster than we ever imagined. And so it was really hard to buy new single-family rentals that were distressed because they either weren't distressed or the wholesalers were snapping up faster than I could buy them. So, I started buying notes with the intent that I was going to go for clothes on people and get ahead of the wholesalers and get the properties um, However, along the way, I learned that you don't have to do any of that. you don't have to deal with tenants and trash and toilets, and you still get the cash flow that I was actually looking for at the time so that's why I've kind of changed my business model over the years
3: i'm I'm kind of a mix between Wayne and Kimberly where. At first, it was to get the property, and then the further I went along, the more I realized I don't want to own the property. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's much better if I can, rather than a renter, if I can have a borrower. That's uh, that's far superior, in my opinion. Great,
1: Kimberly.
2: Oh, well, I kind of said it in my intro. I got tired of the three a.m. calls that there was something wrong with the rental property, so. I had a tenant one time that she has somehow had a sixth sense. Anytime we left the state of Texas, she was <laughs> No fail. Not a lie. So I was done.
1: <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was actually looking for physical brick and mortar. I mean, you know, being in the apartments, uh, you know, I was looking at large rentals, you know, uh, but, um. It got hot and uh, we got out and uh, tried to wholesaling, sailing, uh, thinking I could maybe make some money at that, but uh, that one's pretty hot too. Um, every 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 house is getting 20, 30 postcards, uh, so I uh, met a guy who told me about notes, and then I moved on to Sky Carson, and he kind of showed me the way, and uh, I like it a lot more. I thought it was going to be more complicated because it's... Compared to brick and mortar, it's more abstract, you know, and trying to get money from investors and try to explain to them that, you know, I'm not actually getting the property. Uh, It's hard to get by or get through to some people, but once they see it, they they enjoy it too. It's a lot less risk, if you ask me. uh, When we go back then, Adam, what do you think your biggest strength is in
0: this space with uh, what you do? Um, I'm teeing you up for a good one here. I mean, typically, is technology, we, some people are good at raising money. Some people are good at valuations. Some people are good at speaking. What's your strength you feel that you bring to the network we have as a no community um, that people can turn to you for advice?
1: Uh, raising money was easy for me. Um, I'd already had a network from the apartment world. Um, convincing them to buy notes was my fear. But, uh, I was able to raise money before notes. And as soon as I explained what notes were, the, that's where most of my money came from as apartment investors. And now I'm getting money outside of that group, but it was never been a better problem for me to raise money. Uh, my other strength is, uh, technology. I was in IT for a long time, uh, business intelligence developer, uh, working with data and massaging it. And so, uh. I have my systems. I think it allows me to do a lot more things than most uh, people. Uh, CRMs, uh, real ones. Uh, You know, I use uh, PipeDrive. There's some other ones out there, but uh, PipeDrive is what I use right now. Um, And I think I know how to use it to its full potential because of my background. Those are my strengths.
3: Um, I'm I'm pretty good doing the analyzing, uh, figuring out property values in particular. Um, I can go through a tape and get, you know, narrow down a, a 300 loan tape down to my top ten in maybe an hour, hour and a half, two hours tops, and and get to it. I think um, I'm a pretty good speaker. Uh, more than anything else, though, I think I'm just determined and stubborn. so I'll I'll go after it and if it's if there's a way to get it done I'll figure it out and if there's a way not to get it done I'll figure it out (laughs) and just keep pushing until I can figure something out
2: okay I'll go next um (laughs) My analytical skills are very strong. I'm an, uh, an MBA in finance, so I have been running crunching numbers and doing spreadsheets for forever. Um, but I think one of my bigger skills is being able to talk to people and really explain things. Um, I don't have much trouble talking to investors to get them to understand what notes are. And uh, once I have JV partners and they start to have questions and how does this work and what's going on, um, I'm really able to cover not only the question that they asked, but I can figure out the root of where their mind is going and why they asked it. Um, And I think that works really well for me.
5: I think we have a big, uh, big showing of analysts here on the panel. Pretty exciting, (laughs) I know. Uh, You know, I'm also my strength is also analysis. I think my specialty is really finding the diamonds in the rough I sp- I, I spent a lot of time on the last several notes left on the tape that I haven't eliminated and sometimes I can really find some interesting stories about the borrowers to help me determine whether I want to buy their loans or not you know I I research them online and see are these people really interested in working keeping their houses you know what kind of decorations do they have on their houses does it look like they want to stay there for a long time and uh, also finding information about the loans that the sellers don't necessarily have sometimes they're trying to sell 100 loans at one time and i can spend unlimited time analyzing their loans. so sometimes i can find things on the county recorder's office or On title reports that the seller may not know about and that sometimes leads to really large rewards because you can get a good deal on the, especially in seconds on the ones where the seller doesn't have all the information. So I like spending a lot of time on that type of analysis. Yeah,
4: I kind of lived in a hybrid world for a long time. I was actually, I started my career as a programmer for computers but I ended my career as a VP of marketing. Yeah. So um, so I can do the analytics. I actually can, I, I spent a lot of time uh, like everyone else uh, analyzing the deals. I actually uh, taught a, uh, one of my, my business partners, the due diligence. And actually now I'm not even as good at it as she is, uh, but uh, I'm a storyteller and, and, and I have to be as a marketing guy. And, so that's actually how I raise a lot of capital. It's also how um, I, I, can, I can market our deals and our, uh, you know, even convincing sometimes oh, when I used to do it, I don't do it anymore, talking to borrowers, why they might want to continue staying in their home and paying us. So I think that's been been pretty helpful for me. Awesome.
6: Uh, the next question we had in some ways, how do you guys find the seller's? You search for new sellers. You keep what you're already seeing and find a way to make it work. What are you saying you're up doing with finding new inventory? We <coughs> start waiting back, go back and around again. We need to start off.
4: Yeah, you kind of broke up on that last piece, Dave. Um, so what are we finding? What? We're finding new deals. Out. Oh, well. Um, are you the old stuff? Or are you going out and find new mega assets?
6: Are you, a lot of people are searching banks, searching all kinds of ways to find new assets.
3: What do you do? Well,
4: I used to do that a long time ago. I mean, to be completely honest, I don't have the time to call banks anymore. Um, And I don't think that's a good use of my time to pay someone to do that either. Although I have uh, had people volunteer to do that. What I do now is I work with some of the larger hedge funds um, and and we try to take down, I'll say mini tapes um, you know, in the 15 to 20 assets per month range. And so what we, you know, that, that allows me to, and a lot of, I think everybody that's going to be on this call say we all kind of work with the same folks uh, give or take, but you know, if we can find one or two that are new, great. Um, I also am part of a note mastermind that I think most of the the folks on here are. So we do see some tapes that way. Um, I will, try and and some of the larger events Uh, we were just talking about uh you know like paper source which i can't go to this year but you find uh companies hedge funds particularly who are selling uh or larger banks and so we try and participate in their sales anyone
6: else you find yourself finding assets from old sellers from new
7: inventory
6: you guys hear me okay or no I'm alright. time. Much That's better. better. That's better yeah. there, yeah. Okay. Are you, are you guys finding your inventory from old sellers, these sellers, or are you spending your time buying
2: assets? I buy most of my assets through um, hedge funds or sometimes I'll pick up one or two from a another note investor. Um, I, I agree with Wayne. I mean I think if you called the right bank and you know really worked hard on the relationship you could get some great stuff from them, but it does take a lot of time. So it's a trade off.
3: I find just networking. Um, I, same as the other guys were, I think we're all buying from the same hedge funds mm-hmm. um, and then networking like crazy and just seeing maybe just maybe somebody's got some kind of connection. I, in fact, just actually just last week I ended up buying five notes uh, direct from a bank, which is first time for me mm-hmm. and I'm, hoping to make that a much more <laughs> common thing. I, at least with them, I don't, uh, I agree with the other two guys there. I don't know that it's worth my time to actually make that calling list. Maybe it is, but it's not something I do now anyway. Well,
6: what we're finding is, I'm sure you guys hear the same thing, is a lot of the new investors are trying to find a way to find new assets yeah. where they're just not working what they already gave So. Hmm. I'm going to jump with that question, but also add into it. What kind of what are you buying? I don't know. When you jump in finding inventory as well, or you find yourself, and what are you focused on? Are you buying first, second? Uh, something most people are playing with for deeds. What are you buying? Out uh, of
1: I'll buy anything. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so the company, that also depends like-
6: on well, so Some of your investors you may not know what that is.
1: I, I like land well, contracts for deed. Uh, the legal name is land contracts. They're also called uh, agreements for deed, just depending on states. But um, basically, it's rent-to-own. You, know, you go to rent-to-own center, you get a TV. And if you quit paying on it, the uh, rent center will come and pick it up. And uh, land contracts pretty much the same thing. Uh, as the lender, I hold on to that deed until that final payment is made. Which puts me in a stronger position if I need to get legal. But uh, it, you know, it depends on the states too. Um, some states treat the land contract like a mortgage. So there's no advantage in, in those states. But the states I do buy in, they can be pretty quick and fast and they're usually cheaper. Uh, but you can find some gems uh, in land contracts
6: for land contract one of the most common thing is you can get uh, a homeowner turns into be turns into a tenant and you evict instead of foreclosing.
1: Uh, it's called forfeiture and um, it can be depending on the state can be pretty quick or it can take some time like michigan if the borrowers know the system it's going to be at least four months um, they get a uh, 30 days to uh, reinstate and then you go to court and you get your judgment and then they get three months of uh, redemption and they get to stay in the house while that that three months is going on. So there's four months right there. Uh, Other, you know, Ohio is faster, but uh, you know, if it's over five years old, then it's a foreclosure instead. So now you're looking at six months again. Uh, Indiana, there's a reinstatement period, but then it turns into an Ohio thing, and it'd be pretty fast unless it's five years old. Iowa, that's just forfeiture. That's pretty quick and simple, as long as there's a clause in the contract that says there's a forfeiture, and if there's not, it's a foreclosure. So you really got to know the intricacies. By each state because they're all different, and if you don't underwrite it right, uh, you know a forfeiture cost me eight hundred bucks in Ohio, but foreclosure cost me forty eight hundred bucks. So, Nathan,
6: what are you you working on now? I know you've done some contract deeds. You've done some first. What what have you? What are you working on right now?
3: I still both contract deed and first lien mortgages. Uh, tape that I just got on the contracts for deed. I don't know if the rest of the guys looked at it, but I, nothing super impressive. So I'm probably going to buy Brazilian mortgages this month.
6: And why do you like contracts for deed over first mortgages if it's
3: your choice? Um, kind of going off of what Adam was saying is um, one of the other advantages because it's a forfeiture. Uh, for example, in Ohio, uh, foreclosure takes a real long time, and, and like Adam says, it's expensive. Um, So for me personally, I don't buy first lien mortgages in Ohio, but I do buy land land contracts all the time uh, just because they're a lot easier to turn around if and when I need to. It's not my, my first goal to take back the property, but it's my protection. So I want to make sure that I can, if I need to quickly. Well, I
6: buy
2: firsts and seconds and contracts for deed. Um, one comment I'd like to add about the contract for deeds. They're also lower value properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it's great that you can take them back quicker, but you got to remember right. you're not taking back a palace. Right. Um, everyone that I've had to take back, I have needed to do some serious renovation on. To, uh, bring it back. So you just have to be careful with that. Um, and I really enjoy doing firsts and seconds because I think the training on both of them just improves improved my analytical skills. Um, Gabe, you may think the same thing since you do both of them, but it, each one has a different model, how you research your note, and I find that my due diligence process just sort of blends both of them. Um, and I can find out cool little things that I don't know that everybody would have thought of unless they had training on both sides. So. Good.
4: Wayne or Gabe? Gabe?
5: yeah um, I would say you know I buy both first and seconds uh, I primarily put the seconds in my IRA accounts using you know my money and lately I've been foreclosing on quite a few pretty nice houses from second and taking them and renting them out and keeping them in my IRA um, my joint venture partners are more comfortable with first so I buy I analyze and purchase first mortgages then and it's usually on kind of middle tier properties. so we don't buy any contract for deeds because the, these houses are worth a little more than your contract for deed house and for first I prefer faster foreclosure states um, but the borrower's story is really what I'm looking for I, I look for signs that they want to pay that's really what I'm looking for. Because it makes it a lot easier to manage these investments when the borrower, you know, is talking and wants to pay. So we generally buy ones where there's a pretty good chance they're going to pay. Or if they don't, they're in a fast foreclosure state and we move very quickly on that. Uh, Recently, we did buy a couple performing seller finance notes with high equity. And we got a yield of over 20% on each one. So, nice. I'll try to buy those as much as possible <laughs> when I see them. Awesome!
6: Wow.
5: Go ahead, Wayne. What do you uh, What do you focus
4: on and
6: why? Uh,
4: we mix between. Well, first of all, we only really f- purchase first lien uh, mortgages and contract for deeds. Um, I kind of pendulum swing back between the two. Uh, uh, everybody's talked about the the disadvantages slash advantages of CFTs. I will say. For me, uh, we bought about seventy of them last year and of the seventy, we got forty-eight to reperform within two months. And that's to be the advantage of contract for deeds. They do reperform and one of the reasons is because as Kimberly mentioned, they're lower value properties with lower payments. And quite frankly, their alternative as a borrower is you either pay me or you're gonna have to pay a lot more money somewhere else to live. Um and when you kind of spell it out like that, they get it, um, hopefully. Not everybody, unfortunately, wants to play ball, and then it becomes a real disaster. Almost every contract for deed, when you take back, uh, possess, repossess the property, it is a major rehab in order to get it productive again. Um, we then usually will... Uh, we won't major rehab it, but we will put some rehab in it and try and sell it as a, uh, an owner finance contract for D if possible. But for the first, we have a very specific uh, uh, demographic that we look for. We only want occupied properties. Like Gabe mentioned, we kind of look for indications that the borrower is more willing to pay. Uh, It doesn't always work, but we we get a lot of them reperforming, And the reason is we, we, we target, um, certain demographics like elderly or veterans um, who are underserved and they usually, um, you know, maybe they've had a spouse pass away or sick and they've just had unfortunate life circumstances that make it more difficult for them to stay current with their loans. So we, we uh, capitalize on that and help them out. And so I'm really big on the pay it forward kind of thing. If we can help them stay in the house, we'll actually take less profit. And that actually in itself gets a little bit of a um, what would you call it? Um, you know, they're, they're more indebted to you and they're more willing to stay working with you because you've helped them. Awesome. So um, back to Wayne, uh, what would you say in
6: uh, short stories, what is your best situation and the worst story you've had regarding
4: no buying? I've had a lot of, uh, really good one, uh, wins but let me tell you one that was a horrible situation that turned into lemonade um so we uh we purchased a loan and, and actually i just presented that uh to some of the folks in my mastermind last weekend um we bought a, a loan in dayton ohio it was uh mid 2015 We didn't spend a lot of money on it. Um, We spent about 6,900 bucks for the, for the first position, position lien, And the reason was they had a lot of back taxes and there was a a lot of maintenance deferred on the property. So we were able to get the borrower to talk to our loss mitigation team and the pretty, to summarize it, the guy said, pound sand, I'm never paying you. You can't take my house. Um, I'm going to die here kind of thing. And I got, uh, really interesting uh uh, feedback around that we did unfortunately prove him wrong and we were able to take his house um (laughs) the sheriff had to forcibly remove them from the property and as a parting gift to us he poured cement down the toilets um now that sounds bad i mean when you think about it yes you're gonna have to rehab a house um but we had to rehab the house anyway because there was a huge hole in the ceiling in the master bedroom and you could see starlight when you lay down on the bed. So these folks, um, you know, the house was a complete gut rehab. So we, we pretty much were in the house between the note and the eviction and the foreclosure and the attorney fees and the rehab. We were in it for $45,000. We were able to turn it around by putting a tenant in the house and rented it for uh, almost a year. And then we just recently sold it as a uh, uh, turnkey investment property to a investor in California. And we were able to get some money down and created a note. So now we're getting a cash flow on that property. So there's the lemonade out of the lemon, if you will.
6: Awesome. Cool. So um, I also want to remind everyone that through the chat window, if you want to hit the chat button, you yeah. guys questions, um, any of the guests, uh, participants, you can always ask questions. We're going to get to a lot of questions in a minute. I'm going to let everyone just share quickly again your, your. I guess someone wants to hear your horror story. What was the note that went bad, that went beautifully bad to you just got killed on? Uh, we all have our good stories.
5: What's your bad? Go ahead and miss your game. I would say uh, a few years ago I rolled the dice on the lower end, non-performing first in Indiana. And the house looked okay from the outside and I called the realtor i said hey you know just in general what do you think it's worth he said oh probably worth 40 plus thousand bought the note and i, s- I sent someone over there and apparently the whole side of the house had fell in um, <laughs> and you no, couldn't see it from the street that was the thing uh, and then I tried selling it on Craigslist to anybody, to homeless people, whatever. And eventually, the city sent me a letter that says, we're going to demolish the house. And I found someone who, who actually bought it, f- who wanted to buy it for, I think it was $9,000 cash. And even right after they bought it, the city sent me more letters and said, we're really serious. We're going to knock down the house. <laughs> That was a, that was a bad one. You want to hear a good one? Yeah, give me a pretty good one. Uh, last year, I bought a second oh, uh, you go. here in Los Angeles County for I think it was seven thousand five hundred dollars. And as soon as we got the loan set up and boarded, we sent the borrower a letter. Said, "Hey, you know, we're your lender now." And then he, and then he called us. He said, "Hey." The previous lender would never talk to me. I was trying to settle the debt. (laughs) They said, well, you'd take $40,000 to settle the loan. All right. (laughs) Just, you know, by answering the phone and talking to the borrower, which the previous lender would not do.
6: (laughs) Go ahead, Kimberly. What was your uh, worst and, I guess, a quick good one?
2: Okay. um, My worst was a second in Reno. Um, We started foreclosing on him because we could not get – Him to respond to us. And somehow there is a nice attorney in uh, Reno that likes to find uh, disabled vets who are being taken advantage of by their lender. Um, So he sued, they sued me, not just my LLC, but they sued me personally. Um, And it was the first. It's probably too optimistic to say the last um, time I had ever been sued. So I was very paranoid about the whole thing. Um, but I paid 10 grand for the note and I ended up getting a settlement of $1,100. Ugh, nah. That was fun. Uh, so I don't do Reno anymore, first of all. Uh, and then my best one was very cool. Um, I was buying some notes um, with a a partner, we bought a small pool, and they accidentally sent um, an assignment for a mortgage we had never been on. Um, So when we got it, we looked it up, see what it was. It turns out it was foreclosing in two weeks. Um, So we just said, hey, you know, since you threw it in here, could you just sell it to us? Um, So we bought it like the beginning of December and three weeks later it sold and we made an 80% return. It was yeah. beautiful. They had no intention of selling that loan. But, you know, since we already had the assignment, it's <laughs> so.
3: Mr. Nathan? Uh, worst is the closest I've come to losing money so far. It, we broke even, thank goodness, but it was, um, it was uh, a property on a piece of land out in Maryland, and um, the house was worthless. Uh, it was really just land value. And from what we could tell, land in the, in the neighborhood was selling for about 75000 So I'm like, great. So we bought it for thirty, and thought, this is going to be great. We'll turn around the land. The land was selling, selling for good prices, great. And it wasn't until uh, – and it got a deed in lieu even, so it was nice and easy, quick and dirty. And uh, as people were starting to go look at the property, they came back with their own due diligence saying, hey, I think you're going to have a problem selling this. I'm like – <laughs> what do you mean? And the, the uh, bylaws had changed over the last hundred years since that house had been built. So building on that lot wasn't impossible, but it was going to be very difficult uh, for anybody to just to place the house in the right way so that you could actually build anything. And the house that it was existing was a teardown, so you're kind of stuck. So we ended up selling the, the piece of land to the next door neighbor for 30000 so broke, even on it were walked away fine, thank goodness, but uh that was a close one, hmm. so lesson learned, I don't do land done <laughs> you know quick on your numbers. good about that yeah, I don't know enough about land to be able to figure that one out, so that's okay best uh, I was thinking about this earlier um there's what there's profitable and then there's easier and a bunch of good stories which is the good news but probably the easiest I'll tell you that one um took it over and had to complete a uh had to complete a an eviction it had already actually by the time I bought it, it was a land contract by the time I got it the contract had been cleared and I just had to finish the eviction so finished off the eviction uh put it back up for sale and the whole from purchase to sale was four months and uh that was about a 40% return. So not the hugest return, but it was really fast and easy.
6: All right, Mr. Adam.
1: My pain in Painesville, Ohio. <laughs> uh, so it's a contract for deed. It was <laughs> duplex and um, it looked good. Uh, I mean, it didn't look shiny, but it, it looked like a decent property. Um, outside looked okay. Um bought the contract uh, paid uh, cash for keys i got lucky i saved money on that because the uh, cops arrested her so she couldn't move out in time so yeah. <laughs> All right. but uh then we got in the house and uh, it was a dump uh they had been tearing down walls oh and one of the reasons i bought it is because they had a rehab permit and so i thought they were renovating but they were just doing the knockdown of the walls uh the Pets were defecating in the house. And uh, yeah, so a mother of three, too, uh, as well. So it was pretty sad. But uh, the cops won't even go in this building because it's infested with uh, rodents and fleas. And it's all mine, and nobody wants it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually tried to donate it to uh, Homes for Our Heroes, and they took a look and said they don't. So what's, the don't good have money that, what's
6: so. a good deal you got? Give me some numbers. Uh,
1: good one, uh, real quick. Uh, bought it uh, right before Christmas. A duplex in Grand Rapids. Uh, got uh, the collateral is the longest part. It took me two months to get collateral. Got the deed recorded with uh, Simply File, so I got that done in twenty minutes. Then uh, got boarded up and got the borrowed us on to sign a release a contract for 500 bucks and listed it. And tomorrow's closing. So it was just three and a half months. I'll make 15 grand. Nice. Uh, so I, buy, I paid 19 for it and I'll, I'll make 15 in profit. So, so uh,
6: one of the first questions online we'll go to is from Gail. Uh, Wayne, you mentioned that you target demographics. Can you address that real
4: quick, Gail? Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, So one of the things that we do, well, first of all, Gail, um, I do have uh, Natalie as my due diligence uh, queen who figures out ways to find stuff that's crazy. Uh, Adam's really good at due diligence too, so Adam, you can chime in after I do that. Uh, But what we do do is we look at the tax uh, uh, sites, and you can get a lot of information from the tax sites. So, for example... Um, if it's an elderly or a veteran, it's pretty apparent just looking at what they're paying in taxes, uh, how they're being assessed. You can tell if they're elderly because they get the 65 plus exemptions. Uh, if they are veterans, they pay no taxes if they're disabled. Um, or they have, there's also a veteran, uh, discount on many places in the country, not all. Um, but so we look at that. Uh, we also look at just, uh, factors around the, the uh, neighborhood and the house if they're if their house is uh, as gabe mentioned pretty good looking outside then we think they're going to want to stay this doesn't always work that way but we do use that to our advantage if uh, around the holidays if everybody's got christmas lights up or, or menorahs or things like that there's a pretty good chance that they have pride of ownership so that helps us uh target that loan versus say another one where it's vacant and i don't buy anything vacant uh, it's just not our business model because we are trying to get re performers. Awesome. Uh,
6: the next question was uh, regarding uh, I guess, Camilla, you're asking, uh, who do you train with seconds? I guess you're referring Gordon Moss?
2: Yeah, I started with Gordon Moss, um, and then I was in Travis Tolstrup and Aaron Halderman's uh, mastermind group, uh, which was just fantastic. Um, Sabrina Allen was there from time to time to train us. Um, it was great, but unfortunately, they have dissolved their mastermind. So um, I can't encourage anybody to go join that. But if either one of them offers any training, or Gordon or Saprina, go for it. Awesome. I'm going go to open the QA uh, uh, to
6: here. Uh, you have any questions for everyone? Good evening, everybody. Thanks uh, for your Question is I don't think you're here. Here. can't no? hear that, sorry. No? Who's doing your loss mitigation?
5: Who's doing your loss mitigation, guys? you want me? Um, I'm, I'll I'll talk. Loss mitigation. Loss mitigation.
6: Can you hear me? Who's doing your loss mitigation?
5: Well, I have um, the law office of Daniel Singer. Do you know Daniel and Devin? They're working on some of my files. Um, Some of them, they just go right to foreclosure. So, if if it's a high equity loan, I'm just putting it right in foreclosure. The borrower needs to figure out their own loss mitigation because they're the one that could lose. I've done it on some of the files. I'm not a big talker and I don't like the borrower's calling generally, so I don't use that strategy too often. And on a few files I've used the servicer because I feel that they're very simple files to collect on. And if the servicer can't do it, then it's not gonna happen. So, so I give the easy ones to the servicer sometimes. So it's kind of a combination depending on the circumstances of each loan. I Take
6: a question. Is here? I think um, one of the big questions we also had was, when you're doing due diligence, what are you looking for? I know Megan was mentioned before. What are some of the things you're looking for on your on your due diligence. What are you looking for on a note when you're buying it?
5: Or is the file, or? What are you looking for when you're buying it? Well, the first thing is to make sure it meets all of your criteria. Oh, do you mean after you've already put placed the bid? No, when you're looking at a
6: tape of notes, what are you using to oh. look
5: by the, the asset? What are some of the things you, you're your, pointing out and you're finding yeah well I'm filtering it down by state and the market value of the houses and how long since the borrower has paid and if they're underwater or if they have equity and um, you know how much their monthly payment was and if if they failed a very low monthly payment then most likely it's not going to work as a mod uh, those type of things you really have to know your investment criteria that then you can get through the tapes pretty quickly right agreed yep same
2: Yeah. like for, for me one of the additional things i look at is whether it's um owner occupied or vacant um, there are certain cities across the country that have a really good team and i'm fine with a vacant one mm-hmm. um i know i'll be able to sell it it'll work other places if I don't have the greatest team there, then I only want an owner-occupied and hope to get them to mine, so.
0: Anyone else want to chime
1: in at all? I always look at rents. Um, my worst case scenario is I got to turn it into a rental, so I need to make money off the rents.
4: Yeah, that's a good point, Adam. Uh, we do the same. We also just look at the yields. If it does reperform for the year, um we're looking at one of the things i always look at is how delinquent the taxes are Mm um it's important and 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 probably more importantly what kind of city liens they have um because those things usually don't go away not not the taxes go away either but if there's any sort of sewage liens those stay with the house not the borrower so even if you foreclose you're still stuck with those liens and they can be fairly expensive fairly quickly
1: and I've actually started modifying my cash for keys because of that. Uh, some of these counties, they bill quarterly. Uh, I'll give my cash for keys and bar moves on. Um, and then I get the bill three months later and get stuck with another thousand bucks. I got to dish out. Uh, so yeah, I've, I'm, I'm modifying my cash for keys to have a contingency for those water bills. They're pretty bad.
3: So one thing add to that as well is one thing that I've just, just started doing is using Black Knight um, to get tax reports. And I, it's a separate report than the than the OE. And I do that because it it shows not only what the current taxes are and the delinquent taxes, but it also shows if there any delinquent taxes have been sold as a lien and what the amount is. And they're they're the
0: great nugget guys. Um, I've never heard of it before. So Nathan, is that a, uh you have to pay for that service? Is that free? How does it work?
3: It's paid, but it's $12 a report, so it's not a big deal. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. So everyone to understand what that means is that when we're pulling taxes in O&E, that's a big thing for us to know exactly what, what our current is, where our annual is, and what's been sold off. Often too much we see at tax lien, our delinquent in tax records, and actually, that's not what's linked with. There's an additional lien that was sold off a year, six months, two weeks ago.
3: And sometimes it'll show paid on the O and E, but what that actually means is yep. somebody bought the lien, and you can get hung with that. So it's, for twelve bucks, it's worth running the report just to see.
1: I learned something today. Thank you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I just wrote that one down. <laughs> Hey guys, uh, what's the difference?
1: I didn't hear that.
5: No. Please repeat. Do we lose
1: you? Uh, David's muted. You're muted, Dave.
5: He muted himself. <laughs> Dave, you're muted.
3: <laughs> still talking, still no sound.
2: Hello. Nope.
3: Uh, unmute, Dave.
6: You. What do you find a difference between oh, – um, hey. <laughs> What do you guys find a difference between your due diligence
5: between first and seconds? Oof. I think seconds, you have to do a lot more diligence on – the borrower's uh, paying of the first mortgage, you have to really know if they're paying the first consistently because if they're not, they're not going to pay you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you have to do the same due diligence for the first, like, you know, know how much the house is worth, look at a title report, but you have to figure out what the borrower's intentions are by looking at how they're paying the first also.
2: And in addition, um, yes, if they're not paying the first, they're not paying you. But also the first could foreclose and wipe you out. So you have to have a lock on what's going on with the the first when you're buying a second.
5: Sometimes you have to research uh, bankruptcies a lot and uh, read foreclosure actions if it's a judicial state to see what's going on. What
0: else we got guys?
7: Have
0: yep. Hopefully hopefully it's work here.
7: No, I'm I'm familiar with uh, seller financing and bricks and mortar. But what's seller financing on the note? I think it was Gabe that
5: said he had bought one. Yeah, sometimes if they, if someone sells a house and the borrower can't get financing, so the seller will carry the note for the new buyer. So, what, so that's, I, that's what? the note that he bought. Correct. He bought the yeah. note. He yeah. foreclosed.
0: Now he's yeah. the owner of the property
7: and creates a new note for financing. Okay. I didn't buy the note from the bank, but the note
0: from my
7: owner.
0: Correct. Um, how do you guys handle bankruptcy?
5: Well, we research. How do we handle it? Well, you have to become pretty comfortable with Pacer to be able to read the reports. This is a skill that seconds investors have a lot of experience with.
0: Um, Just real quick, what's PACER? What is PACER again for the newer Pacer.
5: PACER is a a government, it's a bankruptcy case search engine and all of the uh, bankruptcy documents are posted there because it's public record. So you can look up your borrower's bankruptcy petition and their plan and see what their finances are and what their their intentions are. They have to share everything on there. Uh, if this is the first and they file chapter 13, you know, their intention is to pay. And the bankruptcy trustee usually sends the money to your loan servicer. But if you're a seconds investor, you need to read the filing to see if they're trying to strip your second, which is a big deal. So I'm going to add on to that from a question from Ron. If a
0: loan
4: has multiple bankruptcies, will you avoid the loan? I won't avoid it, but I'll tell you what, you know damn well they're going to continue to try and uh, default. They're probably going to default again. So you want to, particularly on a bankruptcy 13, you want to read through the docs and find out what they're proposing their settlement is. And quite frankly, I just... Uh, petition to have it removed if they've had multiple bankruptcies, and then
5: we foreclose. Right. It happens all the time.
2: And the judge is more likely to to be willing to pull the house out of the the BK if they keep filing.
3: So.
0: There's also the point where if someone files too many times, you can get the judge to bear or whatever.
3: I've I've got one like that right now where they, they can't claim again after July. So great
6: so I want to also get into some of the questions online Um, what is everyone's favorite states
5: I well my favorite state is Georgia has been for about a year and a half Um, there's just a lot of nicer houses that were really distressed so there was a lot of distress. Debt on nicer houses and the foreclosure is lightning fast there um, so Georgia has been my favorite state um, but I do like to look at almost every state whether or not I'll buy there is different but I've made a lot of money in New Jersey too so you just have to look at you have to look at it loan by loan sometimes yeah, I was gonna say I don't know that there's one state. I mean, there's a lot of people that
4: hate Florida. I do really well in Florida. I mean, you know.
6: So with that in mind, um Georgia is a state that I avoid for some of the laws that we've seen and we've heard about. Um, you know, we we'll buy any state that has a good price. Again, back to the house, back to the deal at hand. Um, we have a couple of people here from Jersey as well. What would attract you to the Jersey deal? We're Jersey could be a six-month, two-year foreclosure state. What attracted that deal in Jersey? The
5: the couple I bought in New Jersey have just been the story. I bought it. I bought these notes because of the story. Like the first one, I had recent photos of the house. The loan was only eight months delinquent. The realtor said this is a pretty good area, and I bought the loan. And the prices are pretty good on New Jersey notes. And the the realtor went over to the borrower's house for me and said, Hey, you know, your your lender wants to give you a short sale. Do you want that or do you want a foreclosure? And they just said short sale and that was it. And it doesn't get much better than that in any state. And then recently, about six months ago, I bought another one in New Jersey because the previous lender had been in foreclosure for a year and a half. So it was reaching the very end. So I knew it was reaching the end, so I bought it, and now I own this townhome, you know, after only six months because of the story. So you, so you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't worry about oh just because it's in New Jersey, but as long as you have the whole process in mind, how you're going to exit, it's worth looking at because you get good deals in New Jersey. One of
0: the things that came up in the last conference that I got a lot of questions about was about um, self-servicing. Are you at all dealing with loans and dealing your own servicing, tracking your own stuff and dealing your own borrower outreach, which is sometimes two different things. I see Adam shaking his head. Go ahead, Adam, go off.
1: No. (laughs) No. I got better things to do. I mean, Hire, hire someone else to do it. I mean, my servicer does it or I get the Polaris to do it. Uh, it doesn't cost that much and they, they'll probably have a better result than I will anyway. And I'll say the wrong thing and I'll get sued. So I'll just keep my mouth shut.
2: Yeah. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble saying the wrong thing to a borrower. Um, to a borrower that, lawsuit. <laughs> Especially a borrower that's looking to delay the system any way he can and has read up on how to fight your lender in a foreclosure and all of that. So, self servicing is really not a great idea.
0: Okay, Mr. Wayne, you look at your, he's deep in thought in the chat. So, oh. I, I think servicing is essential part of your deal here, but also it's a partnering you that you don't have to worry about. And this business can get very busy what you're doing. Let the servicer be a person you can depend on to do some of the work for you. So, now that being uh, said,
5: <clears throat> Well, I, try I to was going well, <laughs> I I to say, I my hours per day works. So I, I try to outsource everything possible. And that system works because I go to the beach every day. So it definitely works.
3: Now the thing I was going to say though with the servicer, I actually got to the point where I hired a VA down in El Salvador. His only job is to follow up with the servicer. <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> that's fantastic. And so,
3: once a week we've got a meeting. He tells me what has been going on, and I tell him, "Okay, do this next." And that's his job. And then he just follow up, follow up, follow up. That's it. Which brings up a good topic here. How many of you guys are using VAs? I. You guys
0: are using a VA? I, obviously, yeah.
2: I am not. I went and hired. I went ahead and hired a full time. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I, I do also use the VA for different things as well. And um, I think it's a beneficial part of any real estate business to have someone helping you. Uh, I know Wayne and Natalie have been a great team and they've been successful because they had each other. Um, what other tools are you using to become successful in this business that can be shared with other people?
3: I got one. Just uh, about a month ago, I started using a company called JMA Um, and I don't know if anybody else is using them, but I highly recommend them. They're door knockers. So they'll go out and deliver whatever letter I get them, want them to deliver. Um, they'll do the, so far, nobody's taken them up on it, but they'll do a warm handoff. So they'll, they'll, while the agent is standing there with the borrower, they'll call me and hand the phone to the borrower. So far, nobody's actually taken them up on that offer. So I haven't actually spoken to them at that point, but I've, all of the sudden in the last month, I've got a lot more phone calls coming in from borrowers. I've got uh, half a dozen new mods that I just put together within the last two weeks, all because these guys are going out and actually knocking on the door. What it's do you guys, what very, do you find
0: uh, out them versus other door knockers? Cause we premier I use a lot of door knockers all the time. What do you find different between them and traditional door knockers?
3: Um, I think for me, the, Traditional door knockers was supposed to have been done through the servicer, and I was finding they just weren't doing it. So I went ahead and hired them myself to get it done.
5: Okay. makes sense.
3: <laughs>
0: what, what? other? Um, at this time, a lot of people are getting in the space. What are you saying most people are struggling with uh, or not getting in this space that you may have gotten through help or other means that they're just not getting or not doing to become successful. They're not
2: getting reasonably priced assets. Yeah, they're <laughs> paying. A lot. They're paying too much.
3: Yeah, they're paying too much.
4: Yeah. And guess? I think just to add to that, because they're willing, you know, because they're excited and they want to buy stuff, and they're paying too much, it hurts everybody.
7: Yeah. yeah. But, and it'll hurt your pocket. So uh, if if you can hear me, um, I'm I'm sure this business is all about relationships and the more that you're working with a specific hedge fund, the better the deals are that you're going to get. Do you find, I I mean, I'm hoping you're confirming what my thought is, do you find you get better assets the more you're buying from a specific hedge fund or do you find that you're getting different ones? I mean, you're all buying from the same places. Are you getting different lists or are you, are you all competing against each other?
5: Both? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say
2: both, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, think – we
1: think all share the same yeah. list. So. Yeah. <laughs> that is
2: true. Um, I think from my perspective, I don't know for a fact that I'm getting different assets because uh, there's only one hedge fund. Yes, head you, head do. Yes, you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But I know I get better prices sometimes. Right. So.
5: I get better pricing by buying more than one at a time, I find. True. Yeah. And consistency.
2: And consistency. Yeah,
1: okay. yeah I've only bought uh, singles twice. Uh, everything else I've thought, done has been in pool, whether it's cheap assets or, or mid range assets. So, yeah, it's helped me out uh, with my pricing.
0: One of the common things I see is people, when they buy loans, they don't use an ROI calculator. Determine any kind of value, and they base bid on fifty five percent
5: that's the work, right it doesn't always work it doesn't <laughs> you could get caught with a very low yielding performing loan and you'll have no exit
1: and I don't see fifty five percent it's uh, they're paying sixty five seventy percent lately yeah. <laughs>
0: It's amazing how um, sometimes things aren't presented as well as we hope it would be in this space. And sometimes a 67% deal is better than a 63 And the ROI calculator will project that because they're in different situations, uh, especially performing. Um, one of the struggles that I, we've talked about privately is equity deals. Uh, last meetup, we talked about equity deals and are we buying them? Are we not buying them? How are we buying them? What's our game plan to deal with equity loans? Since there seems to be more of them now.
5: Oh, I, I love them. Because especially in a fast foreclosure state, because I'm going to get paid out in full at the trustee sale. And, and you don't need to negotiate with the borrower because it's in, it's in their hands. They can refinance the house or sell the house. Um, or I might take a house and get a big discount on it which I did last week. I got two houses on high equity loans. So I bought these houses at a big discount. So I like them a lot. You have less flexibility than you would with an underwater loan, but I think it's a little more direct the outcome. Anyone else? What do you guys thought?
0: An equity deal.
2: I think they're pricey. Uh.
1: Yeah, they're pricey, and I was going to say that. Too. I actually, I'm going through an issue on my probably probably my best one. Um, bought the note, and you know the payoff was another 80 grand on it, and uh, so we uh, inherited the foreclosure. We get substituted. And we find out the foreclosure did not include that payoff amount. It was just the older amount. Uh, so we had to. Uh, uh, make an amendment to the foreclosure and we're starting that up, but we got notified today that the judge wants to proceed. So now we have to dismiss and start over. And so one of the complications, this, and I, you know, this is the only one I've experienced, but I don't have that many equity deals either. Um, I don't even know how to do diligence that, you know, Uh, the seller's going to give you a payoff and you can check the payoff amounts, but is it part of the foreclosure already or not? It's a little bit more complicated.
0: One of the questions I got this week from uh, a private person was, what do you do once you've settled on a price? What's additional due due, due diligence that you do? Uh, My strategy typically is get that file to a uh, a custodian, Monroe or whoever you're using, uh, attorney to review to make sure the title is clean. We also do a drive-by to make sure the house is there. What additional due diligence do you guys do once you get a, a firm price to make sure you're buying what you're
2: buying.
1: Well, I'm calling code enforcement. Um, I'm calling the tax uh, department of whatever County, some States you have to call the city too. There's two levels of taxation. Mm Um, you know, pulling the O and E. Um, I actually try and pull the, uh, status of the, uh, company I'm buying from if I haven't bought from them before. Um, some, uh, I know Cuyahoga County, if you're recording a deed, they require the status of all parties involved. And I got burned on that one. So I'm checking now. But there's a, tons of things I check when I get this thing under contract.
0: I see a common conversation going on in the chat right now. For anyone that's not on it, definitely jump on it. Uh, about pricing. Why notes, if notes are getting so highly priced, why are we buying them versus REOs?
2: Their price here. I wouldn't yeah, I was just I would say more expensive.
0: Exactly. Yeah, Thanks. yeah, It's funny how we all argue that, but REO pricing has almost come retail now, um, yeah. and that's why and, we're still getting a discount, and that's why and most for, people still focus on that. Even at 55 cents, we're getting a discount where reos are 90 plus.
4: Yeah, and for me, I mean, I still I want occupied properties because I really want to try and reperform the borrower anyway. Uh, Versus an REO where I know I can't reperform a borrower, and then I got to, either we sell it or rent it. Yes, (laughs)
5: sixty cents will work on a nicer property, but I would not pay sixty on a lower end property.
0: So sixty cents is something we won't touch on lower price. Um, I know Nathan, you focus on a lot of lower end price homes where I choose not to. What do you find attractive about those assets? Where some of the investors on the call as well in the room may not have a ton of money or want to spread their money and diversify. Why do you buy an asset for three, four, five, ten 10 grand, uh, where, you know, some of us won't touch anything below $25,000 purchase price.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I did focus more on lower end and I'm, I'm coming up a little bit. Um, but to answer your question, why I like the lower value is because I can get a bigger discount. Um, and that's, that's changing somewhat now where the prices are going up. They're, they're being driven up, and uh, that's getting a little bit tighter. Uh, overall now, my average property value on the low end is 40000 upwards of eighty, dollars uh, And that's usually where I play.
0: And I think we've had a discussion in similar to Wayne's situation where um, even a house at $40,000, the mortgage payment is always going to be less than a rent payment locally.
6: Yeah.
1: So I like to chime in. I buy low end stuff too, but I don't like to buy one off low ends. Uh, There you go. I I get pools and then I try and get an investor to buy the pool too. So they might be three or four low end assets in one deal. That way, if one of them tanks, I still got uh, two or more to bring the deal back up. So, yeah.
0: What is the average purchase price that you guys are buying at now? What's your purchase price? You're buying your assets. If you can give an average, which is, I know difficult
6: well, if
0: people online that want a JV and want to get into the business. What are some of these assets that you're buying that they can join up with you guys?
5: Well, for us, we specialize kind of in the middle, middle of the price range. Average note is maybe 50,000, 50 to $60,000 on average. For a first?
4: Yeah, I would say about the same. I mean, we do see uh, for some of our joint ventures, we can go, we find some as low as 40s, but most of them are in the 60 to 75,000 range.
2: Okay. I would say mine are about the same, um, but every once in a while, and like I mentioned before, those certain markets um, that I have a really great team, I'll buy a higher end one yeah. um, 120, sure. yeah. 125, mm-hmm. something like that. But
3: mm-hmm. I just pulled up my stats. Actually, I've got my average market value right now for property is 46,000. And my average purchase price uh, is just below 16. So I'm actually, and it fluctuates, obviously, but currently my, my current investment to value is about 34%. So
0: With that said, what are you using? What are you looking at right now for those who may not have the systems you have? What program are you using? Excel.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
0: sometimes people try to be too fancy sometimes, and sometimes the fanciest works out. Um, a yeah. yep. lot of programs out there that can help us, but sometimes they're more difficult to learn.
3: Yeah, I, most everything I've got is Excel. Um, I actually just bought um, a new software to kind of track my loans. Uh, it's called Centurion. Loan servicing, so it's actually set up for servicing, and and I am doing some of that myself. But uh, it's nice; it you know keeps track of everything, and it's good. Okay.
0: Yep.
7: Hold. Oh. All right. So, is it safe to say that most of the um, values of the properties are less than two hundred fifty thousand
4: that you yeah. guys are all
7: buying? Yes. Okay. So, who's buying the five hundred thousand dollar properties? The five hundred. The- million because they're in default too right and are there better prices on them
4: no no No. here's the thing about those type price uh those type properties first of all most of the banks and the hedge funds are going to um hold them from themselves because it costs them the same amount of money to foreclose on something like that as it does to foreclose on these small ends, which is why they small, sell off the small ends. So that's part A. Part B is we're we're talking about a highly sophisticated borrower who might be using strategic default as a way um, to get out of uh, their situation. And so these type of uh, 500,000 to million plus homes, those generally drag on for years. So you got the New Yorks of the world that take three years to foreclose, but a a million-dollar house in Florida might take three years to foreclose on, too, because they're going to file multiple bankruptcies. They're going to be uh, looking for stays. It's just, for, for at least for me, I can't tie my capital up for that long. Um, for somebody you know, who can, great,
5: but it's just not a market for us for that reason. Yeah, same here. It's, it's too much money to tie up uh but we do buy a lot of seconds on high end houses i mean we have some seconds on uh, 800,000 dollar houses it's it's a different uh ball game
3: every once in a while though there is a gem i'm i'm actually working on one now hopefully it'll come through it's in, in hawaii all <clears throat> places and i, I think i'm going to right off yeah but it's a beauty. It's it's going to foreclosure. I've, foreclosure finishes next month, and I can get it for a screaming good deal. So, I
0: is that ready. something you're willing to JV with somebody online if if someone's interested in the high ticket Hawaii deal?
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. My brother-in-law is the one who said he's interested, but we'll <laughs> see. He hasn't called me back yet, so still he, he hasn't crashed. written
2: the check yet. So. He hasn't
3: written the check yet, so it's not done. All right. Um. <laughs> Going
0: back to the chat, is there additional questions on there? Has any of you guys seen anything on the chat that stood out to be a good question that maybe some of the other people who haven't seen that may not have the chat open, maybe in the car? And some of the questions regarding where, you know, um, the spread between a non-performing and a performing loan, uh, what do they sell for? Uh, can you briefly, for some of the people that may not know, what is a performing loan and why to trade it?
5: Why is it traded? Yeah why do people trade why do they sell off a performing loan? I think well, people get the non-performers to reperform and then they can sell them off for you know 60 to 80 cents on the dollar, so that's their exit from the non-performing loan. And most of those people are with IRAs 401k they're
0: rolled out where they just want to have a great confidence Rolling the money in every month.
5: It's good um, for IRA. But that, I bought a few performing ones in Surf City that have you know, 25% yields just to hold them for the cash flow. So sometimes you do find ones like that.
7: Okay.
0: Uh, one of the questions I also got this week was why am I not afraid to go outside my local area and
5: trust people I've never met before? <laughs> you have to or else you won't have enough loans you know one of the common
0: questions you also get is you know my neighbor's house is vacant how do I get to buy it um, you, for those who may not understand that can you explain quickly what you know Adam what, why would the house next door that's vacant why can't we just go ahead and buy the new
5: you'll never find the right person to talk to at the bank yeah so
0: um, I'm away from my computer here. Is there any chat questions there that you want to bring up to the group? Um, anything on there that you, you, that you feel is something we should
5: speak about uh, before we tail into the end of this, this webinar? Well, there's a question about first versus second success rates. Um, I think the f- success rate, so in first. It's a little more consistent, the results, right? I mean, you don't exactly know what's going to happen, but in general, you're going to make between, I don't know, 10 to 40%. It just depends on how much you're paying. But in seconds, it's, the outcome is much more variable. It could You could be stripped and lose 100%, or you could have a grand slam and make 700%. So there's just a lot more variability in the seconds which is why you need to diversify across several of them. So the first is a little less risky, I would say, but you have a lot more money invested at the same time.
2: True. Um, For me, I think it also depends on the type of second that you pick. There really are four different types of seconds depending on uh, the status of the first and how much equity is in the deal. So I focus mostly on seconds, um, that have them performing first and that have some equity. So that's kind of like dealing with a first. Um, so I think I have, if you compare my, out, my successful outcomes to uh, some second investor that does all four types, I think I, mine are a little more successful. Um, not to say that if someone focused on just that type of second, they wouldn't be as successful as I am. Um, so that just cuts down my variability a bit.
5: Yeah, the pricing is so much more variable. I would say last year on, a, on seconds, we paid between $0.07 and $0.50. So you wouldn't have that kind of variability in pricing on, on first, but in seconds you would, and that would explain a lot of the variability in that.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Chris, Chris in the chat asked about, are we getting inventory lists directly from originators, and are prices coming up? We talked earlier before about pricing, uh, where we're getting our inventory from, and that a lot of new investors are focusing on finding new inventory versus working with the inventory now. Uh, how many of you guys we mentioned before? You know, are we working with hundreds of different sellers or very few
4: and focusing on what we're getting? I work with about twelve. Consistently, um, I'm always willing to look at something. So if somebody comes along and they're not just joker brokering, and they are, um, can you explain that real quick. What joker brokers yeah. are? Because we get a so, lot. Of- yeah, that's a good point. So joker brokers are usually daisy chains where somebody picks up a tape from from you, and then uh, represents it as their first uh, person to have it, and then they mark it up a little bit, and then they share it with somebody who then does the same thing. And by the time I see it, you can see the same assets. This tape's been out for six months and but the pricing is like triple the price or, you know, um, it's just crazy. I'm willing to pay people a a fair price for finding me deals that I can't find uh, or I don't have the time to find, but I'm not going to just take somebody who does nothing more than marks up somebody else's tape and and, and represents it as their own. That's what a joker broker is. Uh, I actually pay about, I don't know, three or four of the 15 to 20 we buy a month, we do pay a broker fee for. It. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not going to pay $20,000 on a $40,000 note, but, uh, like I've actually seen some people try to pull off, but you know, if it's a, a, if it's a fair, you know, 3% or 500 bucks or whatever it is, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to, to give people the, the credit that they, they deserve for finding something I,
2: I hadn't had time to find. And if you build that fee into your ROI calculator, it's fine. Um, right, if you, exactly. If you're buying a deal yeah. that you don't have enough room to pay the guy that found the deal, 500 or 1,000, you probably shouldn't be buying that deal. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we often see a lot of tapes that come around that uh, either that's what have <coughs> already seen um, or tricks the trade, we know, that it came from somebody or something. Um, for those who are new in the space or maybe on the call, how small is the circle of people were involved with uh, and quickly know who or what is truly a seller?
7: <laughs>
0: it,
3: it's a small group. Um, uh, if you could put a number on it, like actual consistent buyers not counting the people that have just bought one because they're getting started, which is everybody's got to start somewhere, but that's fine. But the people that are consistently buying every month kind of thing, a couple of dozen maybe, uh, it's it's not a huge group. We're talking nationwide as well, not yeah. state International.
0: <laughs>
6: <laughs>
0: so Adam, you know, you're, you're by a lot of deeds. How many, and first, where, how many people in the space that you're seeing, how much competition do you have versus a whole state of investors of real estate? There may be hundreds of real estate investors. How many well, different
1: competitors? I say four competitors on, uh, on
4: a <laughs> <laughs> You know, Dave, that's a good point. Uh, I mean, so if you look at just the note investor world in general, let's say North America, so we include Nathan, uh, <laughs> There might be. Let's let's give a, Let's say there's a thousand note investors in the United States consistently, right? How many wholesalers are there in the United States? A hundred thousand? I think that's probably being in Dallas, low. Dallas. In- yeah, I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> so, so you know, yes, there's competition, but it's not nearly as bad and as it is with just every other part of the real estate business. Um, and, and I, I think, think. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Nathan.
3: I was just going to say. I think we find it's actually kind of a friendly competition. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's cut through most of the time we you know we talk and we find <laughs> out who bid on what and it's like oh you got that one. Oh, that's what I was looking at and you know how much did you pay yeah exactly. Right, exactly. and then it's, it's kind of an X Games feel where we're, we're rooting each other on while competing at the same time
0: we also say why did you buy that and I didn't you know yeah. sometimes we have different angles everything we know we have a Natalie behind us it's false phone we didn't see Um, every one of you guys on here are looking for JV investors what type of investor will attract you versus one what are you looking for in a JV partner
1: one with a checkbook
5: (laughs) (laughs) piles of cash
2: (laughs) I I like someone I can really manage their expectations. I, I don't want to hear from my JV partners once a day. It Just no. Um, so we have that conversation going in uh, that I'll email them once a month and if something major happens, then I'll call them. And if they go, well, we'll figure that out. No, we're not going to figure that out. That's the way it works. Or we're just not going to be a great partnership. So what, what you- they
5: have to understand that they're the passive partner in the relationship uh, you know, I, I give updates to all my investors every time something significant happens, but they know that they're they're the passive side of the joint venture. Um, so as long as they understand what our strategy is and that they're not in control of it, <laughs> then it's okay. Yeah, it's-
4: I've I've fired joint venture partners before because <laughs> they have been too needy Um, quite frankly i'm too busy trying to run a business that includes their deal but but they're one of many joint venture partners and if i have to spend a lot of time with them and they're not being passive and there are some who just physically cannot be passive they want to but they can't um so you know unfortunately you get you you have to do that sometimes adam you're gonna say something
1: yeah one of the things that I, i think a lot of people have a hard time understanding is that when we buy these notes, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean there's so many variables yeah. in this business and uh, we we might you know do the research and kind of get a feel for the bar or something and we might get an idea of my, what might happen, but any end, we don't know so you, you might be going two months down the road and the conversation is going to be about a forbearance or a reinstatement and then next thing you got you're starting foreclosure or something uh, and if you get the property after foreclosure, okay now is it rehab or or can we sell it as is? And so, you know, all kinds of outcomes and you just don't know when you buy it. One quick real question.
0: We have two questions here. Um, what is the average JV partner invest with you dollar amount? Um, for me that's I've had between 5,000 and I've had over a hundred. Do you guys uh, invest through what they averagely invest
4: with you guys?
1: Well, My smallest was 13,500. Um, House burned down and we got 20 grand. So I still made money. Uh, But uh, the highest one, I think she's on the call here, uh, is 82 grand, 86 grand, something like that uh, for a duplex in Cincinnati. Uh, And then, but a lot of mine, I'm doing pools, you know, 50 to 80 grand on the pools. So.
2: Speaking of competition, that was supposed to be my duplex in Cincinnati. This
1: <laughs> is <laughs> uh, a different one. That guy is actually paying again. So.
2: Here, <laughs> yeah, that's what you say now.
7: <laughs> Can you give a little description of uh, your criteria for a note going into a self-directed account?
5: It depends what your goal is with your account. If you want it to be more passive or more active. Uh, I have some highly active notes in my self-directed IRA and then I have some really passive notes. So it depends how involved you want to get. I
4: guess I have a lot of JV partners that use their IRA, self-directed IRA funds to fund our deals together. And, um, you know, we we have a conversation in the beginning on what they're trying to do. Are they trying to grow their money or are they looking for cash flow? Um, is it just they have some? They don't know what to do with their money, so they, it's something to do. Um, you know, we'll try and find an opportunity that meets their specific criteria. It, it doesn't always work because, like Adam said, you don't really know how this is going to end. Um, you kind of have an one. idea of where it's going to end. That's a big one. Yeah. So you know, if somebody tells me I only want cash flow, so only get me a performing note, then I'm actually I don't invest in performing notes. So I won't actually partner with them. Instead, I might say, "Hey, you know what? We're going to do. We're going to have reperforming notes available for sale later. So when the yields are what you're interested in, I will. I'll come to you and see if you're interested in buying them. But you don't want to join venture with me because right now, uh, I can't. I can't tell you where we're going to go with this particular deal."
0: One of the questions we also had was, "What's the longest deal you've sat on and dealt with? Period of time." I'm still in it. I, I,
5: have a second, mine, so.
2: <laughs> I have a second in New York City that I bought in 2014, and we still have not finished the foreclosure.
4: Yeah.
5: Well, I'm in Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland's like the New York City one. I have so. a Florida one going on two years now. So basically, they're all for sale right now. <laughs> no i gotta tell you because
4: i was the jv partner on some other note investors deal so i funded it and we are beyond two years but we have both agreed that at this point we are going to win this freaking thing so <laughs> exactly. it, it's it's a principle of it um yes
3: 16 months is the longest i had and that was i blame it all on peak
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah yeah Peaks a servicer for those who don't know who basically stopped servicing our loans um, with that said, wh- who is your servicers? I know we've used multiple servicers ourselves. Who are you using to service your loans right now and are you using outside loss mitigation to help you through things?
2: Um, go
1: ahead. Oh. I'm using Madison. Um, some of them, they have a full service uh, program I use sometimes.
0: And If you want uh, to go more about Madison, we have a webinar on the YouTube channel with uh, Shantae that we did uh, a couple months ago. Sorry, Adam,
1: go ahead. Uh, that's all right. Um, usually, before I get the collateral, I'll have Steve over at Polaris do loss mitigation. Uh, see if we can get the story. Once I get the deeds and get them recorded, I'm talking about contracts, land contracts. Uh, then I, I turn it over to Madison and, and my lawyer to take care of it.
3: Nathan, who's doing yours? Uh, SN currently. I'm actually taking some of the servicing back myself, not fully, but some of it. Loss mitigation was the main reason. Uh, they just weren't quick enough. So I'm doing some of that myself. And then, um, I use, uh, Greenstein and Libliner as the attorneys that they handle foreclosures, wherever they happen to be. Great information. Kimberly, who are you using? And, uh,
2: I use Madison predominantly. Um, I have a couple of New York loans that I have at FCI because Madison doesn't have um, a license to, to do New York. Um, and I, I find that Madison does an okay job on my lost mitt. I'll leave it with them for like a month and see how it goes. Um, but I'm using Daniel Singer as well for some of my other lost mitt.
5: Yeah, I, use, uh, I like FCI for the performing loans. I like to park them there. They're cheap and the website's good. Uh, for non performing, I usually park them at Land Home because it's pretty cheap to just park them there.
6: And 200 hours a month to begin, I believe it is. Land Home, land
5: home 200 hours a month? Land Home, I think it's 200 hours a month minimum. What's uh, oh, home servicing? Business. What about that? They charge me well I don't know I, I'm ahead of any minimum yeah.
3: but they only charge twenty
5: dollars yeah. for a non-performing second or 30 for a non-performing first and then I have the loss mit either at Daniel singer's law firm or I use but Polaris before is good or I've done or I close so it's and a
6: we had Joel uh, do a presentation a while ago uh, regarding his his services with uh, Dale Singer and his productiveness and success he's
4: had. Wayne, who who do you typically use? Um, like Nathan, I use uh, SN servicing um, produ- primarily SN servicing. Although I also use Land Home. Um, and as, as uh, Nathan mentioned, one of the challenges I have with SN is they are very stringent in their loss mitigation, which slows it down tremendously. And sometimes the the additional delays that they're implementing are causing just it's 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 just costing us money. So so we're making decisions based upon individual loans now, whether we park them in in land home or keep them with SN. SN for uh, particularly seriously litigious borrowers. If I see that they're bankruptcying a, fu- a few times or um, or whatnot, I'm going to leave it in uh, SN because I'm paying for an additional layer of protection, and you are paying more money. Um, somebody asked about the $200 minimum for land home. You get three loans in there, and that's your and you've already hit the minimum anyway. So uh, I don't even know how many we have there now. But but um, I use for loss mitigation. SN servicing for the seriously uh, litigious um, loans, but we also use Polaris for our contract for deeds. And we use the, the law office of Daniel Singer to help us out um, as well. So, uh, and, and we've done some lost mint with others. I've actually used uh, now this will be my eighth servicer over the years. Um, so I can, I should write a book on what not servicers should not do, but, um, but the uh, somebody pointed out peak. We actually lost uh, quite a bit of money because of the peak shutting down. Uh, thankfully it's gotten to go away.
6: Adam, we, There's a question on here. Um, and Kim, I know you agree with it. Could you explain how you break up your JV deals as you typed up in the uh, chat window?
1: Oh, okay. So um, if, If the deal is done, you know, we're getting going to auction or short sale or whatever, um, I pay out uh, this 50-50 split. And first thing that gets paid off is any unpaid expenses. So if we have to pay for closing costs and things like that, uh, that comes out first. Uh, Next thing I do is I pay back the JV capital. And then third thing I do is pay back any money I put into it. And then finally, what's left over is, should be the profit, and we split that 50/50. And if it's yeah, a cash flow deal, then you know, take the profits uh, or take the cash flow minus expenses and split that 50/50. Yeah, it
4: sounds like we all do that. I think pretty pretty similar, guys.
1: One thing I
6: do add in mind is that uh, we have four months of reserves in case we do get a situation where it's rental or whatever. We have four months of reserves in there just uh, in case anything happens. So I won't cash out. I won't give any kind of um, funds out until we have four months' reserves.
3: So, um, And I pay uh, out on a quarterly basis. Yep. Um, that's something that I just changed up this year, actually. So now anytime somebody JVs with me, it's for a two-year commitment. Um, and then I pay out on a quarterly basis <clears throat> with the same kind of structure that Adam explained.
5: Dave, how do you do your splits for JV partners? It's pretty much the same as everyone else. Um, If we end up in a situation where we have a reperforming loan, sometimes we'll make a deal with the JV partner to just have them buy, buy our part out so they can just hold it in its entirety. Because otherwise we're splitting the cash flows for the next 20 years or whatever it is. So I might give them a good deal and just have them buy me out from my part. And when you're
6: doing these deals, are you putting these solely in your LLC's name? Are you joining your
5: assignments, entitled to both your names? How are you typically working that? No, we as a favor to our investors, we don't put their name on the assignment because then every single time we have some kind of legal action, they need to go to the notary and then their name is out there in the public as one of the foreclosing parties. So generally they prefer not to have it on the assignment but you spell this all out on the JV agreement, how you're going to title the assets and who owns them.
2: And the JV agreement is just as binding as any recorded assignment. Um, It's just a private document. So um, JV partners shouldn't be concerned by that. Um, In addition to not just having all, you know, getting copies of all the (coughs) documents and all that, um, if for some reason you get sued on a deal, your JV partner is shielded. No one knows they exist, so they can't, they don't need to hire an attorney and all of that. Um, so it exactly. does offer protection.
6: So, I've asked this question, Wayne, you're talking about in the chat here about pulling assets and pulling money together. Multiple investors on, on a full deal.
4: So let me let me clarify that, if, if I may. So uh, So the question was, do I pull assets together? Um, or how would you handle it if you have multiple JV partners? For me, um, we only have one JV partner on one deal. I do not take multiple JV partners for any specific note deal. Uh, alternatively, I may have multiple notes per JV partner. Okay. But so when we do a JV, um, the JV, joint venture partner for for at least for Platinum Ventures, we create a private cloud that they have access to all of their uh, all of their specific information including the JV partner, any due diligence, uh, the expenses that Adams was talking about, we document everything. So it's all available for them so that they have access to it for their accounting purposes. We pay very similar to how Nathan said quarterly, especially on cash flow. But we do have one operating bank account that we manage all of our expenses from. We don't have multiple bank accounts. We don't have multiple JV partners. I'm sorry, um, multiple LLCs or anything like that.
6: <clears throat> so without multiple bank accounts, we're doing everything QuickBooks <laughs> and breaking everything up without having to give somebody a bank statement.
4: It's correct. Right. Yeah. So we have a bookkeeper. Actually, we found a really nice bookkeeper from Adam.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, <laughs> Debbie. Um, yeah. Debbie.
2: Also, um, when you just so no one's confused, when you buy a pool of assets, you don't need to have just one JV partner funding your pool.
6: That's you correct. Buy, yeah.
2: You can buy a pool of ten and. J.B. partner A gets two and J.B. partner gets three and J.B. partner three gets the other five. It, that's not pooling money, even though it's called a pool. <laughs> so. Good point, good point. Advice
6: for newbie before we get to the final question, what are your advice for people who are getting in the space? What's your advice
5: to them?
1: I know. <laughs> I don't know
5: yeah.
2: Don't pay too much. Don't pay too much. Um, yeah, I think you learn more from actually buying the note and working through the process than you ever will at seminars and classes and all that.
6: I call it notes, college for notes. You go to school, you pay your dues and get your education.
2: hmm
3: And if you're interested in the business, but you just figure, you know what? I, it sounds really cool, but I'm too busy. Great. JV with somebody and you'll still get all the benefits yeah. without having to do the work. That's how
1: I started. Is uh, I was JV on about six notes. That's how I get involved.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, uh, if you're too busy to run the deal, you mm-hmm. can be a JV now, and then when you're less busy, you'll be a little more familiar with it. You can run your own deals.
3: Yep.
5: Or you can buy a reperforming note and kind of you know learn a little bit about the due diligence process and how to work with vendors. Well, uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. I do want to ask you one last
6: time, how do we reach out to you? How do we get hold of you? And um, final words, Adam, how do we reach you?
1: Uh, Putting my email in chat.
4: Oh, good thinking. Nice. I'll put mine there too. I am too now. We're all stealing Adam's ideas.
6: We steal
2: a lot of Adam's ideas. There we
6: go.
1: If you send me an email, I will spam you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, you won't. You'll send valuable information.
1: Well uh, Well,
6: guys, I appreciate. Yep. We're uh, hold one second. This chat I can save and send out to everyone. This recording will be on uh, my Facebook page as well as my uh, YouTube channel for anyone who didn't see it. If you do want the sound recording for a drive, let me know. I'll send it to you as well. Um, thank you very much for joining me and joining us and answering questions. Um, I appreciate all your time. And, uh, again, happy shopping. I will speak mm-hmm. to you guys, I'm sure, by tomorrow. We'll be uh, chatting often. So again, hey, Dave, thanks for putting this together. Yeah, yeah thank by you, by Dave. Way. This is great. You're welcome, guys. I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll go from there.
4: Okay, everyone. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Bye. Yeah.
6: Bye. Bye.